If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Welcome to episode 333 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. We had a huge mailbag episode today. Um, this is going to air on Monday, January 17th, which puts us right in the middle of the January LSAT. Um, February LSAT is in the middle of February. Deadline for the March LSAT is on Thursday, February 3rd. I want to invite everybody to my January 2022. Well, actually, that needs to be updated now because it's February 2022 LSAT study group. That's every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, you can come talk to me about whatever's on your mind about the law school admission test or law school admissions more broadly. Uh, all you need is a free demon account. So LSATdemon.com, get a free account come talk to me in class. I'd be happy to sort you out. Um, I don't know. Was there anything in particular on the, uh, in this whole long mailbag episode that uh, you want to point out for listeners who are wondering what they might get? Yes. In today's show? I have one thing. Perfect. Yeah. I choose the correct answer because <laughs> the test tells me everything I need to know. Say it together, friends. <laughs> I choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. All right, we have an email here from Chow. It says, hello, Nathan and Ben. Thank you both for all you do. I'm a recent podcast listener and a refugee from PowerScore and Khan Academy. I discovered Thinking LSAT after getting frustrated with my decreasing practice test scores and wanted new ways to approach the exam. Previous to using the demon, I would read two to three chapters from the Power Score Bibles a day and work on their corresponding workbook. This reading chapters, you know. No, no, no. This is not good. Yeah. It's like reading, it's like learning a new language by going and studying some grammar book. Yeah. Totally. It's just going to totally mess you up and you're not going to learn things that actually matter. And <laughs> Yeah, you need to go speak to the locals if you want to learn yep. <laughs> the language, right? And so, yeah, I think that's a pretty good metaphor here. This theoretic, my, the other metaphor that I always used was like learning mm -hmm. to ride a bike by reading a book about how to ride a bike. It's like, no, dude, get on the bicycle, like fall off a couple times. Mm -hmm. it, it just, you'll yep. figure it out. It's not that hard, but you have to do it. And so these yeah. reading chapters out of any book, I say this as a guy who wrote six LSAT books. I don't want you reading chapters. I want you doing actual questions. Yeah, but to be fair, your LSAT books involve actual LSAT questions. Yeah, that's all I ever like. I yeah. I don't know. It was easy to write the books that way, frankly, because it's like, hey, here's a question. Do the question. Let me talk to you about it and then yep. teach you whatever needs to be taught. Um, by the way, nobody needs to buy any of my books these days because all of those explanations are in the demon. So plus more. Yeah. Yeah. Plus many, many, many more. Um, I still continue writing new explanations. And yeah, I mean, they're all. That's a work in progress, but it's much bigger than all of my books combined. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like do a real LSAT question and then learn as much as you can from it. 
Anyway. Well, yeah. Okay. Chow says, uh, uh, so he would re- read two to three chapters from the Power Square Bibles a day and work on their corresponding workbook. All in all, I think I read over a thousand pages worth of material and concepts. Wow. Jeez. You know, there's a lot of writing. (laughs) There's not a thousand pages worth of concepts for sure. I mean, there's like one concept. Read it carefully. Understand what it's asking. Yeah. Pick the answer that actually answers the question. And I can say that for a thousand pages. I have. Um. But it's through it's, examples. Yeah. Which yeah. But is it's extremely all really valuable. <laughs> it's all one question at a time. It's like doing the actual question. It's not it's not starting with a bunch of theory and then and then later going to the questions. It's starting with the question and then and then only unpacking theory to the extent that it's necessary to understand that question. But you might have just understood the question naturally if you hadn't had your mind all clouded up by all this theory up front. Well, that's exactly why people's practice test scores decrease. Now they, it's like they're over-engineering this problem. They're trying to attack it in a very counterintuitive, unnatural way, and their scores drop. Totally, yeah. I felt confident in my diagnostic score, which was a 155 untimed and 151 timed but after a month and a half of studying, my scores only went down. The concepts and words to look for, god damn it, completely threw off my regular comprehension, and instead of worrying about understanding the passage, I hyper-focused on specific words. This is exactly why we're better. I mean, this is exactly why our students' scores go up so much, <laughs> because we don't do that bullshit. It's like, yeah. it's not that hard. It's just, <laughs> these like, I don't, people think that their lessons have to be structured in a way that looks like the lessons that they studied in their high school geometry class or something. Yeah. But it's not like that. You don't need theorems. You, you need to just do some practice. And yep. it's so much easier and more productive and more effective to just do one question at a time. This is a bummer. And more fun oh way more fun it's a game now you're doing a practice problem and did you get it right did you get it wrong why did you get it wrong let's go from there you take the you're at the basketball camp and you take the little kids and half of them you put on the court playing a scrimmage and half Mm -hmm. of them you put in a classroom reading some book about (laughs) basketball fundamentals and then after lunch you put the two groups against each other in a game. Who who's gonna win? Yeah, well, you, better yet, I mean, you could even have one group out playing a game and the other group in watching NBA games and yeah. pointing out things that the <laughs> NBA players are doing correctly. You still like you just don't get it until you get out there, get the and ball feel it. in your hands. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, anyway, I hope this turns into a good news. Thinking LSAT, Chow <laughs> continues, has completely changed the way that I approach the LSAT. While the concepts from PowerScore are useful, mm, maybe they are, Chow. I'm not sure that you're right on that. But 
While the concepts from PowerScore are useful, says Chow, I think the issue with so many other platforms is that it gives the test too much power. As a result, the student becomes obsessed and does not see the bigger picture. I know I was. I will be taking the January LSAT, and in taking your advice, I have decided to hold off law school for another cycle and get more official scores under my belt. I'm currently scoring mid-160s, but want to shoot higher. My LSAC GPA is 3.92. Whoa. Awesome. <laughs> That's somebody That's who, yeah, I mean, man, if you, if you can reach the 170s, Chow, you're going to be opening the doors to all kinds of really amazing places. My Pearl versus Turd candidate is some advice from baseball that I applied to the test. My coach would tell me that to succeed as a pitcher, accuracy always comes before raw power and speed. In order for one to get better at pitching, one has to slow down and concentrate on getting the ball in the box. The speed will come after you gather your confidence and improve your accuracy. Applying this to my studying meant that I was going a lot slower than I wanted to. I had to fight to keep the urge to rush through the section and the review process. Since adapting this advice, I have felt my skills slowly improve and would see this translate into faster comprehension and better predictions. Thank you and the demon team for everything, exclamation point. Um, P.S. I've made an LSAT demon subreddit for the demon community and thought it would be a nice place for people to come together and connect. There's also a Discord for the subreddit, and Chow says that Discord is a cooler version of Slack. I, for one, am looking for study buddies to bounce, off, uh, bounce questions off of and improve together. If there is already an existing community, I can delete the subreddit. And then he gives a link. Should I just read this URL? I don't know shit about Reddit. I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't go on Reddit. The whole internet is like a cesspool to me. I, I don't, I, I try to stay away from any kind of social media, but reddit.com slash r slash LSAT demon apparently is the subreddit that Chow created. And if there is another subreddit, whatever. Redditors can sort that out. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Anything else for Chow? Yeah, well, it's funny that he has this analogy from his, I don't know if it's an analogy, but his coach In gave baseball. him this advice, yeah, mm -hmm. and he he applied it to the LSAT. Just last night, I, I'm uh, going through these videos for um, a reading program that I'm doing for one of my kids, uh -huh. and the, the video was probably made, like, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. I mean, this woman created this program and she's still selling her, her program, but she has these tutorial videos and I'm watching it. Right. And she says at the end of this one video, she said, never ever sacrifice accuracy for speed. And then she like looks at the camera. The whole thing just like caught me off guard. After all, what good is reading fast? Wrong. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. So anyways, that's Susan Barton. And I was like... Baron. Yeah. Well, sorry. I don't know where I wrote Baron, but oh, I just Barton. typed it wrong. And Barton, yeah. Got it. It's the Barton reading program. But anyways, I'm <laughs> like watching this woman say this. I'm like, this video is old. The whole context was funny for me, but I was like, I couldn't agree more. And um, this coach is saying it too. So we've said it. This coach is saying it. Susan Barton said it. I don't know. Well, Hopefully people will start yeah. to believe it. And then there's the 
army rifle thing, which we've talked about before. The yeah, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it definitely has application in golf. Like if you just kind of swing smoothly, you have plenty of club head speed, but you actually hit the ball instead of <laughs> swinging as hard as you can and just not making good contact. It the thing is. None of this shit is actually that hard. It yep. makes perfect sense. I mean, like we we talk to dozens or hundreds of people every year who score in the 170s. Yeah. And it's not that hard. It like the the way people score in the 170s is it makes perfect sense to them. And the reason why it makes perfect sense to them is cuz they go slowly and actually understand it. Yeah. Um that's that's our you know, that that's our mission for our students is to just help you get rid of all of these weird ideas about time management and theory and just encourage you to, to read it more carefully so that you can actually understand it so that the question then becomes easy instead of hard. Yep. And then you just string together a whole bunch of correct answers in a row because you're actually understanding it and it's not that hard. But boy, if you try to go just a tiny bit too fast, then it becomes it's not even really that much. hard. 5%. Exactly. Yeah, no, for real. 5%. Mm -hmm. You know, you there's a my motorcycle analogy, you know. You try to go around that corner 5% too fast. <laughs> and you, it's not like you get to your destination 5% slower. You just don't make yeah, it to you, your destination at all. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, okay. Ready for another email? Thank you, Chow. Yeah. Okay. This is from Nate S.A. Okay. That's his handle. All right. Currently, I'm receiving results from the estimator that are considerably off from what I've been offered from this school's cycle. What, uh, what estimator is Nate talking about? Yeah. The... Um, scholarship estimator that's at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships um okay well i'd love to hear about what's wrong with the estimator my cumulative uh, undergraduate gpa is an abysmal 2.42 my lsat score is a respectable 168 <laughs> okay um sorry i didn't mean to laugh at your lsat score i was laughing at your adjectives, adjectives yeah. yeah that you're, you're <laughs> you don't need to say abysmal <laughs> next to 2.42 that's a gpa that's lower than mine which is like hard to do it is indeed abysmal nate um you don't need to say abysmal anyway go ahead yeah i've taken the test one time okay asu oh, i wish you would have taken it more than once but anyways asu the estimator says unlikely so unlikely to get a scholarship but I have been offered $90,000 over three years. Okay, so that's a $30,000 scholarship each year. Working with ASU's in-state tuition after the first year and how this affects the scholarship, this offer amounts to about $51,000. Half. Huh? <laughs> I'm not totally following, but a little unclear there, Nate, in your email. Uh, how does the in-state tuition affect the scholarship? We don't know. Point is, uh, the the estimator said unlikely, and Nate got a scholarship anyway, which is yep. good. Okay. We we would certainly rather 
underestimate <laughs> than over it, right? We don't want to be like, this oh, you're exactly going to get a full bad ride. News. Yeah. No, this is good probably, news. Yeah. Yeah, this is good news. Okay. I'm going to see if I can um, replicate these results as we talk. 2.42168 update. And yeah. And Arizona. Yeah. So it's showing scholarship unlikely. Okay. Well, hmm. maybe there was something in your application that they decided they liked. Okay. Yeah. He says he applied on November 28th and received his decision and offer on December 13th. Okay. okay. Next school, Richmond. The estimator here expects an unlikely outcome as well. I have been offered 120000 which is $24,000 off from full ride. Okay, I applied October 14th and received my decision and offer December 17th. So I just double-checked that in the estimator, and Richmond now shows more than full in the estimator. Hmm. Um. I wonder if that's because of the changes, right? With the new 509 data and maybe the new right. index numbers that, that just came yeah, out. Yeah, that, so. right. That information just came out um, three months after law school started. So wait, what did it say for Richmond? More than full. Numbers? More than full. Hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, we should point out here... I mean, I'm not saying this just to defend ourselves, but the the estimator is meant to, what it does is it aggregates all of the data that we have and it makes a prediction. Yeah. And that it is going to vary. Like your other application, your other components of your application do matter. So the estimator is not meant to like give you precise, you know, precise numbers on any one school. It's more meant to give you an idea of the range of schools that you should be applying to. Um, so it, that it's, it's sort of like a baseline, right? It's like, you're probably going to end up somewhere around here, but it could go up and down. It obviously. Can, yeah. Right. It can be higher or lower. I mean, anyway, go ahead. Cool. So new England law is spot on. They offered me a full ride. I applied October 14th and received my decision and offer on November 16th. Okay. okay. Yeah. Estimator still says full tuition scholarship there. So that one nailed it. Okay. Um, Nate S.A. says, I'm not a URM. Uh, he's been working the last 10 or more years uh, since he graduated from undergrad as a security guard, and he has nothing special in his current or past career. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nate, Nate, your sentences are, are very, you know, Con almost too concise. Like most, I have several schools I'm still waiting to hear back from. I suppose it is possible that I'm an exceptional splitter that defines defies, the, defies, <laughs> defies the estimator's conventional algorithm. If it's simply that, then I'm sorry for wasting your time. Oh, no, dude, you're not wasting your time. Not we at all. Hear about this? Yeah. No, man. We're we want to get better. We we want to hear from you. Uh, email us anytime, help at thinkinglsat.com for this podcast, help at LSAT, uh, sorry, uh, daily at lsatdemon.com for our other five days a week podcast called LSAT Demon Daily. Um, but yeah, we, we want to get better. So if, if, if you're seeing, uh, results in the estimator that seem wacky to you, let us know. I mean, I, I would say that, yeah, dude, you are a splitter. 
pretty much to the extreme. Like you're above the 75th percentile LSAT at all of these schools and you're below yep. the, the 25th percent GPA for all these schools. So that to me doesn't surprise me at all that the estimator is going to spit out some weird results. Yep. But let us know specifically, um, you know, if you're if you're seeing strange things, because we did just update that data and we have learned now that the data that we get from these ABA reports is not always perfectly accurate, at least on the first draft. So if 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 something pops up that seems strange, let us know, because we we might investigate and end up fixing it. Yep. LSATdemon.com slash scholarships. LSATdemon.com slash scholarships. It's free. Everybody should go check it out. Yep. Um, it's, it's the first place. I mean, like kind of day one of your LSAT career. Yep. How do you, what, what score do you need given the L, the GPA you have, the schools you want to go to, what score do you need to get to those schools for free? Yep. How are you going to avoid paying for law school? because it's a $150,000 or more. And uh, start with that estimator. It'll give you a picture of what kinds of schools you might be able to get full rides um, with what kind of LSAT. And yep. very frequently, it's an improvement of seven or eight or 10 points will get you from all the way from not even admitted up to a full ride, sometimes plus stipend. Yep. If you improve by 10 points and we Which see students improve by easy. 15, 20 points all the time. Yeah. 25 yep. points is not even that rare anymore. Yep. We, we, you can do it. I mean, it'll, it'll take work, but, and some time, but you can, you can, you can save yourself a hundred thousand dollars pretty easily. Yep. All right. Next email. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it me? Howdy, Ben and yep. Nate and awesome. LSAT Demon Team. I was wondering if you can speak to the possibility of lawyering part-time. Is that a thing? I mean, do some places only require you bill 900 hours a year or some reduced amount for folks who have, say, a lucrative music business that operates on weekends or evenings? Oddly specific. Oh. Thanks again. Uh, and then <laughs> this is from Alex. And Alex provides a July 2020 LSAT of 154 and a January 2021 LSAT of 165. So there's an 11 point increase. Good job, Alex. What do you think about part-time lawyering? Well, okay. So here are my two reactions to this. One, if you ask me, have I ever heard of a lawyer working part-time, I would say no. I actually tend to hear the opposite, which is lawyers working full-time and then working more hours for their bonus or just because it's expected and it's a crazy year. And, you know, you're kind of viewed, I think, at a lot of these, at least bigger law firms, as just a, a worker bee, as you say over and over and over again. It's like, get the work done. If we burn you out, well, we burn you out. That's where the up and out phrase comes from. Um, my second thought, though, is I have no idea what it's like to own your own practice. So if you can be successful enough to start your own practice, then yeah, I'm sure you could do whatever you wanted. And I imagine that's why some people have their own practice. They just don't want to work crazy-ass hours. Yeah, I mean, unsolicited financial advice, but 
the way to make money in the United States is to have your own business. And like lawyers make a big law firm lawyers make a, a big salary. But even that salary is nothing compared to what an owner of a business would make. If you make partner at a big law firm, then they're inviting you to join the ownership structure of the firm. And now you're an owner. And that's where you get to the point where you might start making, you know, half a million dollars a year or, or more or million yeah. dollars a year, you know, or millions of dollars per year. Yeah. Like if depending on the firm. Yep. Um, but that's a long road to get invited into the ownership of the company. Right. And so that's why those big law firm jobs, I mean, if you're on the partnership track, they're going to want you to give your life, your heart and soul and all your waking and you, hours. To you might the firm. literally, well, maybe not literally, literally, but in all the meaningful senses of what the word life means, you might give your life. Yeah. And, and sacrifice everything else, including your family. Yep. And other pursuits. Yep. But which can be good if you, you know, if you want work to be the primary focus you of your life. Hey, yep. I'm just not... be aware of the trade. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I read some quote yesterday, some book I was reading, and it said something about uh, it's the work that frees you. And there was something there that resonated where it's like, you know, you, you can sit around worrying about shit or you can work. Mm-hmm. And some of the happiest moments of my life have been when I've been the busiest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those tended to be like service jobs. I mean, the pizza place that I worked at in high school, the bowling alley that mm-hmm. I worked at in college, when I was like slammed with customers. Mm hmm. Looking back on it, those were some of the happiest times I ever had because it was like, you don't have time to think. You're just working. You're just doing the shit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you feel this satisfaction that you were able to do your job and take care of people. And, you know, like I got real good at running the cash register. And there was something satisfying about knowing how to do that, like, weird little mundane task. But it was a skill and I had gotten really good at it. I was really fast, you know, and it's like you can be proud of that and you can lose yourself in it. And that's great. Um, I don't know where I'm going with all this. I, I also don't know anybody who practices law part-time. I don't think that law generally is the place that I would recommend people to go if they just want to make money. Like, even if you go the big law route and even if you do make that $200,000 a year starting salary that big law lawyers make, there's like that, that's, it's like a cap. It's like a maximum and a minimum, right? All the law firm mm-hmm. salaries are in lockstep. Yep. The big firms are in lockstep with this $200,000 salary. And that sounds really great to a college kid, or it sounds really great to, you know, some young worker B who's making $40,000 a year. Um, but you're going to, yeah, like you said, Ben, you're going to give your life to the firm for that 200000 a year. And then it's up or out. <laughs> and how many people make it to partner who start with that $200,000 a year, right? The attrition rate has to be at least 50%. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I do know that, I mean, there are some middle grounds. There are people who, you know, as you're, you're still going to go up from there as you rise in the ranks. 
Um, and you may never make it to partner, but you may make it to of counsel or something like that. And you're still, you know, you might make a pretty penny of $500,000 a year or something like that. But the thing about that salary, and I guess I'm just coming back to this question about part-time, is that you can't get to an awesome billable rate and unless you're putting in the time and competing with those around you. Like if you're doing part-time, you're just not developing the skills and the wherewithal to be able to turn around and charge that much, at least at a big firm. So these things like your rate goes in line with yeah. how many hours you put in too. I, I, you know, <laughs> looking at Alex's specific situation, if your if your music business is already as you describe it lucrative, yep. Why don't you just focus all your energy on that? Like, why would you go try to bill nine hundred hours a year for a firm? You know, which what is that eighteen hours a week? Um, yeah. Why would you try to go bill eighteen hours a week for a firm? and make a half of a lawyer's salary instead of pouring that 18 hours a week into your own business, which you already own, which won't require you to go to law school for three years. I would go one way or the other. Yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> for some reason I'm imagining someone trying to balance between two boats that are driving, you know, right. going along in the lake. It's yep. like you have one leg on one boat and one leg on the other. And so how fast can you get going? Just hop onto one boat and press the throttle down all the way. Is that going to be the law firm or is that going to be your music business? I'd start with the music business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, sure. I just, I just think you'll have a more satisfying life. It's, being an entrepreneur is wonderful. Having your own business is the shit. Mm -hmm. It is great. And yeah. if you, you know, not everybody finds that thing that they can go out and, and make a buck at. But if you find that thing, uh, boy, I, I think you should do that thing. Because otherwise, you're just lining up with a whole bunch of other worker bees who want someone else to tell them what to do every day. And there's so many of those people. I mean, that's the vast majority of people. They just want a salary. Oh, I could never take the risk of having my own business. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to do it. And mm -hmm. it sounds like Alex has already done it. Like Alex is already out there with some music business making money. Uh, yeah, and it tough. sounds like you're making money through like live shows or something because you talk about weekends or evenings. Great. Can you expand that? Can you record your shows? Can you sell them some other through some other means? Like, I don't know. Just look at your one business. It's that that Venn diagram, right? That I stole from the internet with the three circles, and mm -hmm. one of them is you're good at it. One of them is uh, you can get paid for it. And one of them is you love it. Yeah. And the sweet spot is right in the middle of those three. I, I, I can't imagine that Alex doesn't love music. Sounds like Alex is already getting paid for it, which makes me think that Alex is probably already good at it. Yeah. I mean, you're already in the sweet spot. Why would you then go out of the sweet spot to go try to compete with people who... I don't know. Like 
you're good at music. You, other people aren't. Yeah. And now you're going to go <laughs> compete, f you know, fight with words with a bunch of lawyer worker bees. I don't know. Yep. Thanks, Alex. Cool. Hey, thank you. You know, listeners, if you know people who do practice law part time and have created a successful part time law business, maybe they own their own. I would think owning your own firm is probably the way to go with it. I, I can only imagine that's how it works because anybody else is going to just want all of you. Yeah, they're going to be like, are you going to work here or are you going to go somewhere else? Because even <laughs> I just I mean, I know I already said this, but if you're working half time, you're just like even within three months, you're going to be behind people who are working full time. They're just going to be better at their job. And so then they're going to get more work. That's just <laughs> how it works. It's I don't know. It's just it's, it's science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And. An employer, if someone's cutting you a check, if someone is telling you what to do and giving you money for it, then they're going to want people who can give them more. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's just not a lot of people out there looking for part-time, I, I don't know, like if they're going to train somebody and give somebody Invest the keys to the building and... Yeah, exactly. All you know, ha take the time to meet with them and talk to them and bring them into the organization and all this stuff. Then, I, yeah, I just don't. I can't imagine that they're gonna want you part time. But I, I could also, be wrong. they're always afraid that you're gonna walk away, right? Why? Why aren't you working here full time? Well, because I have this other, other I have thing. this other gig. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you're just like, peace. I'm out of here. We could <laughs> be wrong. Email us. Yeah. Help at thinkinglsat.com. We'd love to hear from part time lawyers if you happen to know anybody. All right, want to yep. take this next email also from Alex. I think it might be the same Alex, potentially. They came in kind of back-to-back. -back. Okay. Howdy. Uh, I started the demon a little over a month ago, and my diagnostic was a 165. Cool. Okay, so this, this is different, Alex, then. Oh. Because right? uh, hmm. we have a... It's 165 yeah. again. I mean, that 165 that Alex reported in Ju January of 2021, that can't be the official Jan... Oh, wait, it could be the official January 2021. I, I thought these were the two official uh, scores that he had on record. Anyway, right, so this, this Alex, same Alex or otherwise... All Alex's, says my they're all the same. It's <laughs> a joke my for our editor, Alex. <laughs> my diagnostic was a 165. That If that's your first... Cold diagnostic, that's incredible. Yeah. I have focused on logic games in my drilling since that was my weakest section with LR close behind. Okay, best possible I, candidate for improvement right here. Somebody who starts in the 160s and sucks at logic games, you can get into the 170s, no problem. Yeah, yep. I've seen improvement in drilling so far, but my most recent practice test, which was 88, was a 157. What? Wow. I asked the demon staff for advice and they said that deviation is normal True. and that I should reflect on what I did differently during the test. True. I know that I did things that I would never do in the case of a real test. So that part is a, of it is totally my fault. Yeah. Hmm. It's a hundred percent your fault. You did something different. <laughs> like that, that's, that's the only explanation. People, people lose their mind. They, they can do it on a practice test or they can do it on official tests, but they, they just weirdly when the clock is ticking, they start approaching the test in some totally different way 
you know, maybe they triple check every question, even the easy ones, or maybe they rush to the end of the uh, end of each section, like force themselves to finish each section, monitor the time really closely and keep checking in every five questions to make sure that they're on the right pace or whatever. And they don't do that during their drilling or they don't do that during their practice. And so then shocker, their results on those time tests um, come back wildly different than their than their normal results. And Alex is admitting I did things that I would never do in the case of a real test. Okay, well, then <laughs> disregard the results of this test because you have to stop doing different shit. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, uh, so that part, Alex says, so that part of it is totally my fault. I, I, I could say that um, some of this might be our fault to the extent that we didn't get the message to Alex to do timed sections. Like I could almost see Alex doing a test, got a 165 and then just drilled, 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 drilled and didn't take time to do a timed section. And so I didn't get practice ignoring the clock. Yeah, always do timed sections regularly. Like from, yep. from day one to day 101 of your LSAT prep, you need to do timed sections. Um, not every single day necessarily, but like, I, I can't imagine letting a couple, three days go by without doing a timed section. And the purpose of that, as Ben said, is to learn how to ignore the clock, because if you don't time yourself regularly, then you, you tend to just do weird, different shit when you actually do hit start on that timer. Yeah, uh, and that seems like that's what happened to Alex here. And yeah, I mean, I don't, we don't need to blame anybody, but sure, if if we failed to get that message across, then fine, we can shoulder that blame. Sure. So let's see here. Alex continues. My question is, how much of a possibility is there that this practice test is any harder than others? Zero. Okay, so the tests do, I would say, vary in difficulty to some degree. Not much. Barely. But um, Barely. I, we can look at the data and say, hey, so I actually pulled up this data for test 88. I know you're going to love this. Um, let me look at the average really quick. Well, okay, so the average difficulty for all the questions in that test is 2.9. Nine and, and keep in mind, 3.0 is, the, is, the, is, the, is the average, yeah. So, for that test, it's um, not, at least for the test as a whole, it's not far off. I think you see more swings when you look at individual sections, like the games might have been harder in this test, and then the reading comp might have compensated and been slightly easier. But overall, it's pretty damn close. The tests I was, don't differ, the student differs day to day and in their reaction to the test. It's possible that that test was more difficult for you, Alex, but that's 99% because you did different weird shit on the day of the test and you got off on the wrong foot. You know, sometimes people like, let's say they have games first and they crash and burn on the games and then they internalize all this drama about how, oh my God, my whole future is fucked now because I suck at the logic games and I'm never, you know, I, I don't know, whatever your, your head is spinning 
and then you end up with this weird, really low result. The test was hard for you that day, but it's not because the test objectively is hard. I mean, they, they are basically, it's basically the same shit in a different box. Or <laughs> I said this the other night, it's the same shit in the same box. Um, every night. Sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke, but it, it's it's just like it doesn't change. All the questions make perfect sense if you read them carefully. Yes, there are mm-hmm. one or two weird little quirky ones. Shake them off and go to the next easy, you know, like do your best on it. Pick the answer that you think is correct. Move on to the next one and nail it. Yeah. And that's all yeah. you ever have to do. And you, just this. Yeah, it's a waste of time to be thinking about whether one practice test is harder than any other practice test. Um, Alex continues. I was also wondering if y'all thought that drilling is the best way to improve logic games understanding no. or if time sections could be better translated to actual practice tests. Uh, it's a mix of both really. That's the best. We way need to, to, we need to hash this out, Ben, because I, I have been recommending that people not drill logic games. I, I just don't, okay. I, I just, I want people to do timed sections and maybe that's something that you and I, I mean, we could discuss this. Um, sure. But what about, what if drilling gave people timed sections instead of giving them individual games? Because my here's my, my concern, and I know we've talked about this before, but my concern is if you drill logic games and you really take your time with it, then you, know, you could take 20 minutes and get them all right. And... I know that the demon is paying attention to how much time you spent, but if you get them all mm-hmm. right, I feel like the demon is going to still continue to give you harder and harder games. And you can be not that good at the games, but able to grind your way through even the hardest games. And I think a couple things are going to go wrong there, which is you're not going to learn how to smash the easy games, which is really the key to logic games. <laughs> you have to kill the easy games, which is the easy and mm-hmm. medium games. You have to kill those games which is not that hard, but you'll never learn that by doing just the hardest games. Yeah. Um, I thought it was two things I was going to say. Maybe it was just one. Maybe it's just that one. Well, you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll just never, I don't know. Anyway, what do you think? I, I don't, well, yeah, I like people doing time. I love drilling for logical reasoning. One discrete question at a time. And I do love yeah. the idea that you can just go into the demon, hit drill, even on games, and just mm-hmm. have a game in front of you and work on that game. That's great because you're doing a game. That's awesome. Yeah. But I think that the tool steers people into harder games than they probably should be spending the bulk of their time on, right? It's like to harvest well, the majority yeah. of the points, you're going to get your, the majority of your points from the easy stuff, not from the hard stuff. Well, a couple of things. One, we can tweak the degree to which it weighs time, time. right? Maybe so, it should count time more on the logic games or something. Maybe it should. Okay. Give, penalize them more, right? Don't progress them as fast. Another thought is, and I mean, I, I like that people can, like you just said, they can, you have 15 minutes, you yeah, have 20 do minutes. Yeah, a game. Yeah, it's great. Drill. And, and there's something powerful about <laughs> the mild addiction that could be associated with drilling, right? People are like, okay, do How another one, do another one. Just a reminder. That's what I was thinking. In the drilling tool where it, oh, you've drilled eight games in a row. 
or you eight try days to in a section? row that you've drilled, just a pop up, like a little two sentences that says, yep, the bulk of your points on logic games are going to come from the easiest games. And mm -hmm. if you do timed sections, you'll realize that like two or three or sometimes all four of the games are easy. And you need to get in the habit of starting that 35 minute timer and then just destroying the easy games. Yeah. Well, it's also because each of the, the algorithm has is slightly different for games, logical reasoning and reading comp. And I, it's possible that I, I seem to remember like a few months ago, maybe it was like six months at this point, there was some pushback on how e easy the games were. In other words, the, the demon was penalizing people for their time. And I think that we might have adjusted it a little bit. So maybe, maybe we need to go back on that. I'm happy yeah. with like, really, I don't care how good you are at the games. Even people who are already like really good at the games. Yeah. You're going to make the most progress by learning to just destroy the easiest games even more than you already are. Yeah. There's not that you much to be learned from the weird, hard one-off games. I, you know, you remember, um, June, what was it? I forget. No, June, 2009, the, the Mo, the Mauve dinosaurs, yeah, yeah. Infamous mm -hmm. bad section of games, right? I never do this, but I happened to time myself individually on that section when I did it. Yeah. And I made it through the section and I scored perfectly on the section. But I did it by doing the first game in like three minutes and the second game in like five minutes. Yeah. And the third game, that dinosaurs game, I think it took me like 12, 13 minutes, something like that. Yeah, And it's not because I was good at the dinosaur game that I was able to make it through that section. It's that I was really, really good at the easy first and second game in the section. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are both easy changes. So. Okay. Yeah, cool. Well, that, uh, yeah, I mean. And, and, and something that actually we're kind of working on, right? We're in the process of continually... Um, tweaking the algorithm and, and possibly even adding the meditation reminder and stuff like that. Yeah. I, that's, that's on my list. Yeah. Cool. Anyways. Um, I know that my diagnostic test was pretty good. Alex continues, but I want my score to be as competitive as possible since my GPA was a lackluster was lackluster at 3.58. Everybody has a, <laughs> A different de different definition of what is and they're stupid good adjectives. Yeah. Okay. I've enjoyed the demon so far, especially Nathan's Thursday classes. Thanks for all you do, and sorry for the long email. Okay. Please give me grammar feedback if you have the time. Look at that last uh, sentence. The only thing I noticed. So your your, your email is not that long, Alex. Thank you. Yeah. And your grammar seemed pretty good. That last sentence that Ben kind of stumbled over a little bit was, you could have done that better, right? I want mm -hmm. my score to be as competitive as possible since my GPA was lackluster at 3.58. Um, yeah. You could have just said, I want my score to be as competitive as possible since my GPA is 3.58. Um, 
Adjectives and adverbs, you got to use them very sparingly. Uh, otherwise, I think this was fine. Yep. Thanks for writing. Thanks, Alex. Uh, okay. This comes from um, Haley, who uh, is on our team. And uh, she TAs for me sometimes in classes, and she works on the podcast for us. Uh, so Haley says, I saw this this post on Reddit, and I thought it might be a good Pearls versus Turds submission. I really like what the affirmations are, but I thought your opinion on affirmations helping a score range become smaller would be interesting. Uh, and there's a site, Redditor's username, BKBUCH14. I don't know why that's relevant, but anyway, maybe just giving a credit for this uh, affirmations. Should we okay. properly make this a pearls versus turds? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, the scoreboard right now is 16 pearls, 58 turds, 24 ties. Here we go. Okay. Affirma the headline, the title of this post was affirmations making my scores more consistent. This might sound stupidly simple, but it helped me, so I figured it might help someone else. Before doing this, my scores would range from 164 to 175, which was unbelievably annoying. I'm not really an affirmation slash manifestation person, but I've noticed a huge difference since starting this. Parentheses. Now my scores vary two to three points. Before my practice tests, I write on a piece of paper. Okay, so here's the tip. And specifically, <laughs> this tip is for reduce for consistency, which I don't I, I'm not I'm just I'm not going to believe that the consistency thing is actually real. I, I think that if the consistency thing actually is real, it's a result of you getting better at the test. Right. The only time not people do because... get consistent is when they start to get in the like mid to high 170s that you're just not missing yeah. any questions. So, yeah, you're going to yeah. be consistent. And so, so yeah, so that's weird, though, that like this Redditor thinks that they are getting more consistent. What they're actually doing is just getting more accurate. Like they're just not making as mm -hmm. many mistakes and they're calling it consistency. But really, it's just understanding anyway. Yeah. So this is writing out on a piece of paper before the practice test. This is what the Redditor writes, hand writes on a piece of paper. Logical okay. reasoning. I read the stimulus thoroughly and understand every word. Okay. I predict the correct answer. I read every answer choice. I choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think this, this, these, these tips are good in my mind yeah. and they seem very Zen. I like Zen-ish. I like right? it. It's like, <laughs> I'm into it. It's, it's exactly what your job is. This is your job. You yep. have no other job than these things. So just do these things and you're going to get the best possible outcome you're capable of. Yep. I hate things that feel like, you know, dogmatic or anything that gets anywhere even close to religious or woo woo, whatever, mm. you know, like I want to go to yoga, but I don't want them to say the dumb 
Indian words for every. I don't. I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just like it, when it veers off into this weird like spirituality or like study of some religion or something. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Can you tell me how to do the stretch, please? I don't need to know uh, whatever. <laughs> so I'm very resistant <laughs> to this type of shit. Hmm. But I endorse every word that was there about logical reasoning. Read yeah. it thoroughly, understand it, make a good prediction, read all the answer choices, choose the right one because the test has told you everything you need to know. Genius. Okay, logic games. I read the rules correctly and make no copying errors. One subtle thing I would put, I would just omit the part about make no copying errors because it seems like you think you need to write down all the rules. I don't agree. I do not think that you need to take the time to write down the rules. Uh, I would rather you incorporate them into a solution if possible. This anyway. Redditor sounds like they um, listen to the podcast maybe. or maybe even subscribe to the demon. I mean, this terminology is not super common outside of our yeah. orbit, right? They're about to use the word worlds, and yeah. it seems like when I see most of the people talking about this, they're talking about possibilities or scenarios or things Templates like that. Templates, yeah. Templates, yeah. I read the rules correctly. Love that part. I create worlds when possible. Yeah, I mean, you bake the... Ideally, you don't even write down the rules. You just bake those rules into worlds. You just start solving yep. the game, essentially. Yeah. I choose the correct answer choice because the test tells me everything I need to know. That's the like chorus or refrain <laughs> of this hymn. That's like the fundamental belief, yeah. the axiom. Yep. Yeah. Reading comprehension. I am interested in the passage. I read the passage actively and engage with what it is saying. I do not pick answer choices that are not supported <laughs> by the passage. I yep. understand the main point of the passage and perceive the author's position. I choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> and all God's people said, <laughs> I choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. I like it. I, I like it. Well, so it's funny because those last three lines were always the same, right? Yeah. Except I noticed they were uh, slightly, the, the one in the middle is a slightly different length. So I was like, what is going oh, on Oh, it here? says answer choice. Yeah. Choice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, these are somewhat individualized and based on some of my common mistakes. As I get nervous throughout the test, I've found myself repeating these in my head. It seems simple, but it keeps me grounded and reminds me that this test isn't as hard as our brains tell us it is. It's always good to remember that everything you need to know to answer the question correctly is right in front of you. And I think we can convert this into an actual pearl, Ben. Yeah, and this person says that these are somewhat individualized. I would say they're, they're pretty universal. Well, <laughs> and I think really all we need is the refrain. Boil mm -hmm. this whole thing down to I choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. Yeah. And at that point, it's a pearl. Well, there's power in focusing on one thing, but I do think all of these bullet points are things that good test takers should know intuitively, if not explicitly. I choose the correct answer 
because the test tells me everything I need to know. It is true. That's how I approached the LSAT, like from jump, you know, day one of my LSAT prep, logical reasoning and reading mm -hmm. comprehension. I just read it carefully and answered the questions correctly. Games yeah. I needed to practice, but I very quickly learned that I could choose the correct answer because the test tells me everything I need to know. I mean, the rules dictate the answer choices. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, if, if you, boy, I mean, you, you need to go slowly and carefully and actually understand it because eventually you're going to choose the correct answer because the test has told you everything that you need to choose that correct answer. I'm calling it a pearl. Should we have an affirmations lesson? This is the, <laughs> the these are the only affirmations we approve of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be. Well, there's no reason not to make it like a part, you know, meditation. Um, yep. it, this, yeah. This. Uh, yeah. We could definitely do very, a meditation on this. I could see these as being calming because, like, yeah. it's what you need to do, and that's what you should always focus on whenever you get yeah. thrown off or stressed during the test. Focus on what you need to do, and these are the things you need to do. Read it carefully. Actually understand it. Predict the answer. Read all five answer choices. Choose the only one that can possibly be correct. Yep. Uh, based on what the test has told you. Yeah. Yep. Okay, it's a pearl. If you have a pearl versus turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. Awesome. You got the next one? Yeah. Ben and Nathan, I love the pod and wanted to share a little success story <laughs> and ask a couple of questions. Um, one, I paid for the live subscription to LSAT Demon 16 days ago. I believe. By the way, that's a $295 a month subscription. You do not need to start on the first of the month. You can start on any day. And uh, yeah, $295 gets you unlimited access to the demon, including multiple live classes seven days a week. It's, um, I think it's by far the best way to prepare for the LSAT. Yeah. About two days in, I took a cold diagnostic after completing the first introductory lesson. And by the way... We uh, we just complained about someone talking about lessons earlier on the podcast, but our introductory lesson pushes everyone into the demon. That's that's what it does. It says, oh, go drill. Go take a time section. Go take a practice test. And this person did so. They took yeah. a cold diagnostic, and they scored a 149. Nice work. Yeah. Um, this person continues, my worst section was logic games. Since then, I've completed a few more lessons and attended about five to seven classes total while drilling and taking way too many practice tests. I recently discovered during Nathan's class on January 6th how this doesn't really help me. Okay. Um, anyway, for about three tests in a row, I couldn't get above 155. That's when I seriously started going to classes. So far, I've gone to Nathan's class a couple of times. Logic Games Fundamentals with Lorena, and Admissions Hour with David, as well as watching some past classes. Today I scored a 163 on a practice test with only one question wrong in Logic Games. That's a 14-point jump in about two weeks. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So <laughs> for your $295, you've already gotten a 14-point increase. <laughs> I don't know how much money that is. Right? One hundred forty thousand dollars. 
At least. I mean, it, at least. I, I think yeah. an LSAT point's worth 10 grand pretty easy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you have already completely changed your life, Veronica. Um, hey, 149 is a fine place to start. And uh, we see people go from there to the 160s or maybe even the 170s um, all the time. So you, yeah, you, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna go from not even being able to get in to getting a full ride, um, and you're gonna do that in the span of like a couple three months. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I can't thank you guys enough for creating such an amazing site. I wouldn't, I hadn't even tried any other LSAT prep, and now I never will. Exclamation point. I won't be taking the LSAT until June 2022. But with how I'm scoring now, I, I know I'll be able to hit 170 plus when I sit down for an official test. For now, the next stop is 165. I don't know why um, Veronica has already decided on June 2022. I mean, they're offering the test. Um, why not think about I mean, we, we still, the, the March LSAT registration deadline is not until February 3rd. That's a month from now, or as you listen yeah, to this, well, it's three weeks Within from a now. month, are you scoring in the 170s? It, it is possible, right, that Veronica's score shoots up and then moves much moves up much more slowly in the future, but it would still make sense to keep pushing forward because even then, points are worth so much right so what the only downside i see to this massive improvement so quickly is that someone could have wonky expectations about the next 14 points right oh like i expect to get this in the next two weeks it doesn't sound like veronica has those expectations in fact her expectations are still overly like long right it's like will you need until june maybe but maybe not. And if not, then take it and get it done. Give yourself more chances to take it. There's a March test March. and an April test. And the you're going to cross the, the boundary on the cycle reset yep. uh, before the August test. So, you know, you, you could take it two or three times this cycle. Then once it resets before the August test, you could take it another three or two times. Um, up to five times total if you go across that cycle reset. And so it's like, it's, it's almost like a free chance. Yeah. Cause you, unless you're waiting until the next cycle, which is yeah. okay, but it doesn't seem like you'll need to do that. Um, she continues number two. She says one of the prep tests I, that I took for practice on LSAT demon was prep test 88. Oh, someone else just wrote about test 88. I missed 27 points total and scored a 155 according to the demon. Not my best, I know. Anyway, Seven Sage, scroll down, says that missing 27 points on prep, tef 80, prep test 88 would mean I scored a 160. Uh-oh. Is Seven Sage wrong in how they calculated scores? Or how does the demon the calculate LSAT my demon score? wrong <laughs> in how we calculated its score? That's wait, wait, hold up. Uh, okay. This is pretty Ben will check it. Out. We'll fix it. Thank you for emailing the show. Uh, email help at uh, thinkinglsat.com if you want to email the show. These kinds of questions for Demon users, you can also just email our world-class customer service team. That's help at lsatdemon.com. Um, 
it is possible that we have some sort of a glitch in our matrix here. Ben's researching. I, I, okay, so my my reaction is probably not because let's just take I can figure this out in two seconds. Um, because we have a three section <laughs> scoring system and a four section scoring system, and I wonder if she's looking at the four. Yeah, that sections. is that is the fucked up thing here is that we. When when they converted to the LSAT flex, and now they're not calling it the flex anymore, but it is a three-scored section LSAT instead of a four-scored section LSAT, we had to make an adjustment to the scoring scales for all of those tests. And it's it's kind of hard to do because essentially what we have to do is drop one of the sections of logical reasoning um, and then multiply the scoring scale by 75% because there's only 75% as many scored questions now. Um, it, it is possible that there's this differential here. She, she might be looking at the uh, four section scoring scale on seven sage because 27 yeah. questions wrong. I don't see how that's a 160. Well, okay. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's possible. It's possible. So, I'm going to have to find this particular test, but at least on another test, getting 27 wrong would give you a 157. Okay. So, yeah, it's right in the middle there. Uh, we'll That's on a three-section test or on a four-section test? That's on a three-section test. On a three-section test, 27 wrong would get you a 157. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a 160 to me. You're missing nine questions per section. That doesn't sound like a 160. Yeah. Anyway, um... Thank you for emailing, uh, Veronica. We we will look into that. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Uh, next bullet point in Veronica's email. Yeah. Okay. Number three. I love listening to you two read personal statements. Recently, I heard you read a personal statement about a girl who participated in mock trial. I'm also involved in my school's mock trial team as a current undergrad, but I've always been told not to overemphasize my involvement in mock because admissions counselors are never impressed by it. Sounds like never bullshit. In- Who knows that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, I go. I went and did mock trial. Well, that's stupid. No. Um, if you succeeded at something, anything, it's worth noting. I'm struggling with what else I will write about. Okay. I'm involved in my school's student newspaper and hold a leadership position, but I'm worried that if I overemphasize my interest in journalism, that it will look bad. And like law, and like law school is my second choice. <laughs> you can drop the word "like" there. Um, okay, I. What is this website? College what? confident. So this link is talk.collegeconfidential.com. Ooh. And. This is from March of 2011. It's all just user-generated shit. It's a post from March of 2011. I have no reason to trust any of this. You know, yeah. somebody's saying, like, I basically, I was on mock trial. Should I do mock trial on purpose because it'll be good for my law school admissions? And then you get, you know, some anonymous user. It's not important or helpful at all, either for getting into law school or being a lawyer. <laughs> that's not to say you shouldn't do it if you want to but it has zero value for law school admissions so there's no reason to feel like you should do it I, I mean citation needed 
what do you mean it has zero value for law school admissions? What? Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking. You just don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you can, you can write your personal statement on almost any topic and have it be beautiful if you do it well. If you, yeah, if you succeeded at whatever you're talking about, it's hard to see how that wouldn't be helpful for law schools. You're a badass. Now, yeah, now you want to come mean, here? Great. I think generally you shouldn't do things because you think they're going to look good on your law school application. You should do things because you're interested in them and you're passionate about them and you're going to learn from them and you're going to succeed. You know, that's that's why you should do anything. But just like blanket statement, it's has zero value for law school admissions. I, what? what are you talking about? You know, yeah. if you look at these other posts, which, again, yeah, they are definitely from 11 years ago. Um but, you know, you get somebody else popping off with, I don't know much about law school admissions, but I would try to avoid looking like a gunner. <laughs> there comes that idea Fuck again. off. You don't know what you're talking about either. Like, well, yeah. the most successful lawyers are definitely gunners. Yeah. Do be a gunner. You want to be a gunner. Gunners are going to be successful worker bees in law. In <laughs> law. So... What are you talking about? Just, I don't know. Stop on the, stop going on the internet. <laughs> she concludes. Thanks guys. Veronica. Thanks for writing in. Um, and congrats on your progress. That's amazing. I'm looking, I'm getting pissed at these, uh, posts cause the whole hive mind is just, everybody's chiming in. Well, I realized that it won't help during admissions. <laughs> unless you unless you would enjoy it, don't do it since it wouldn't help during law school admissions. And it's like, who are you? Random internet person. And just like everybody, yeah. you know, you just echo what the crowd is saying that it won't help in law school admissions. It won't help in law school admissions. I mean, again, that's not the reason to do it. But I, but I don't agree that it's not helpful in what? Yeah. I'm worried that if I overemphasize my interest in journalism, that it will look bad and like law school is my second choice. Any tips? If you succeed at something. Uh, yeah. Write about it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're going to have to pick a thing to write about. And so I guess I can see some merit in the advice to during your undergrad, you know, pick something that you really love and then kick ass at it. Yep. Instead of trying to do 10 different things and be mediocre at all of them, pick a thing and kick ass at it. But if that's mock I'm, trial, great. If it's the student newspaper, great. I'm sure some people do mock trial, right? Solely to apply to law school and then they suck at it and then they don't have anything to say about it. And so in that sense, I could see it not helping their application, but um, that's not what we're talking about here. I think there's a Seems big like difference. You enjoy it. I mean, I'm I'm now randomly speculating, but I think that undergraduate admissions is interested in well-rounded applicants. Mm, mm -hmm. I don't know that law schools Involved. are yeah. generally that into well-rounded. <laughs> like, do you want? Let me ask you this, Ben. Do you want a well-rounded <laughs> lawyer? Yeah, who you don't care at all if they can't uh, MC a crowd. <laughs> 
can you find the cases and win your argument? I, I just don't want I, a well, if I'm going to be in litigation, I want an expert in that field. I don't, yeah. I don't want, I don't want a generalist. I want somebody who's, you know, a, a focused killer in one area. I want an assassin. And I don't know. I mean, law school personal statement is a page and a half. You don't have time to present this grand, I'm a well-rounded young person, you know, and instead it's mm -hmm. like, tell me a story where you present yourself as a badass winner killer. And that all we need is one thing. Yep. Um, all right. Anyway, thanks Veronica. Last one. Yeah. Yeah. Last one. Uh, hello. I have loved listening to your podcasts over the last few months, and they really helped me study for the LSAT. I am taking it this upcoming weekend and feel good about my score. Average from last five timed five section practice tests is a 171. What? Colton. Why are you doing five section practice tests? The LSAT is four sections now. You should do four section practice tests. That's not like the end of the world or anything. It's just, I mean, Colton, <laughs> if you're doing five section tests, that means you're probably doing two sections of logical reasoning. Yep. Which there's and only you... one scored section of logical reasoning these days. So you're overemphasizing logical reasoning in your practice tests. I mean, it's not a disaster. It's just why just you should yeah. do four section tests or three section tests one of each scored section, that's fine. Do a fourth experimental section if you want, but there's definitely no point in doing five section tests. Okay, anyway, feel good about the 175, and you should. Sorry, 171, and you should. Great. Assuming, comma, I get a score on the actual test I am happy with, parentheses, which for me, I really want a 165 or above as it should make me competitive at schools I want to go to and get me scholarship money, end parentheses. Then I won't retake. What? <laughs> if you're averaging 171, then you should retake anything less than a 171. My only concern here is if you're averaging a 171 because you kick ass at logical reasoning yeah, and you've now weighted the test. The case, but I noted, yeah, I, I doubt that's the case. I just, people have this weird difference between what they're actually scoring and then, you know, their their score that they want. Here, yeah. Colton really wants a score that is fairly significantly lower than the average of his practice test scores. Can you imagine if Colton got a 166 and then just said, okay, good enough. That makes me competitive. Bummer. That'd be a yeah, disaster. It, yeah, it says, get me scholarship money. Okay. Yeah, you can get scholarship money. Most people <laughs> yeah. going to law school get scholarship money, actually. Almost Probably every somewhere gives, yeah. What, like 90% or 80%? Many, <laughs> or many. 75. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 75% of people are probably getting scholarship. We got to figure out that number. But it's a high number of applicants, at least at the top, you know, Norton, like what, 50 schools, the vast majority of applicants are getting scholarship money. So saying that you're going to get money isn't impressive. Um, you need to get a full ride or a stipend, and you could with a 171. 
at a school that's going to accept you at a 165? I'm just making a note here that we need to figure out what percentage of schools give more than 50% scholarships to more than 50% of the class. Uh, that is something that we can, I think, get off of the 509s. We'll, we'll report that back to you at a subsequent episode. But yeah, you don't want scholarship money. You want a full ride. You don't want one of these scammer ships. You don't want a, yeah. you don't want a 50% scholarship. They're still ripping you off if you get a 50% scholarship. Yep. You, you still might be paying more than the average person at that school, even if they're giving you a 50% scholarship. Look at the 509 report to confirm. That's not true for every school, but it's true for many schools. And yeah. You don't want just some scholarship money. You want all the scholarship money. Okay, anyway, Colton continues. Which, by the way, let me double down, Colton. Get the best LSAT score you can. I don't care what score will make you competitive at whatever school. You've been scoring in the 170s. You should insist on getting an official score on record in the 170s. Then worry about where you're going to apply. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I have started wondering about writing the personal statement for applications, comma, I want to write about March 2020, comma, which I know for everyone in the world was a very rough period, comma, but this was also when I started wanting, when I first started wanting to be a lawyer because it was the month my mom went to prison. Oh, dear God. <laughs> what? Wow. That is first, the, the, how long was that sentence? <laughs> okay, well, it's a terrible sentence, and Colton's previous sentences which had parentheses and all kinds of weird shit are also terrible you need to edit yourself colton um but the thing that i'm really worried about is you wanting to write about covid and and your mom, and your going, mom to prison? going to prison and how that's when you first wanted to become a lawyer don't write about that shit dude write about success stories Write about you kicking ass in anything you've kicked ass in. Preferably a job, but something at school would be great. Choose a success story. Do not put your mom going to prison in your personal statement. Well, you also got to... Uh, Colton is not aware of the fact that wanting to be a lawyer because your mom went to prison is not a good reason to want to be a lawyer. I've never read a single good personal statement that has the origin story like that. No, I we've don't had, give, We've had people's parents die, right? I feel like I remember that. I just, I don't story. give a fuck what you're mad about. That's not relevant. You know, the, the re the thing that you're upset about, the thing that triggered this desire in you to become a lawyer, I don't care. Uh, it just, it's not, powerful you think it's powerful and law schools will be happy to tell you oh no that's exactly what we want you to write about but all law schools care about is that you submit an application law schools give bad admissions advice so them yeah. telling you oh sure no yeah that would be a great story yeah tell us why you want to be a lawyer they don't fucking care they want your lsat and your gpa and you're not gonna move the needle by writing the same damn personal statement that every other naive applicant writes with an origin story mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to, I can tell you right now, Colton, you're going to be oversharing with bad shit that happened during March, 2020 
when you and all 8 billion other people on the planet were going through the beginning of the pandemic. And you're going to be oversharing bad shit about your family. <laughs> it's just you're not going to be presenting yourself as a success. I could just I mean, I have no idea why your mom went to prison, but I can also just see this being, yeah, like you're saying, this this opportunity, it's going to invite you to say things that you think make sense. And other people are going to say, oh, my God, you believe that? Like, you're probably going to defend your mom, like for some crime that occurred. And it's just not going to come across. Or you're just going to be whining about your circumstances. You're going to be whining about your mom's circumstances. You're going to be whining about socioeconomic whatever. You're going to be complaining about she was mistreated by the justice system. You're going to be complaining Mm -hmm. the attorneys were mean to you. You're going to, like, you know, Colton... Colton continues, I don't want the essay to sound like I am writing about my mother, even though I am kind of writing about my mother. You know why? (laughs) It's because you are fucking writing about your mother, Colton. Any advice? Thanks, Colton. Yeah, don't write about your mom. I I don't write. Don't write about March 2020. And don't write about the... (laughs) Yeah. Now, listen, if you did something kick ass during the pandemic, write about that. If you if you succeeded, like which by now I hope you have, because we're coming up on, you know, into our third year now of the pandemic. um, Yeah. What have you done? What did you do? I don't care what happened to you. And I don't, I just don't really care what you're interested in or what you think you want to do. I mean, I know, I'm sure you think you're going to go become some like hero in the criminal justice system and, and maybe you will, but I, you saying that that's what you want to do, it carries very little weight because I just, I've read a thousand other statements that sound exactly like that. Yeah. And so instead, I would like to know what, you know, like, did you find work? Have you been working in the last 18 or 24 months? I understand that it was probably rough. You probably got laid off. You probably couldn't get a job. You, you know, you struggled for a while, but then eventually you found something to do with your time, right? Have you been kicking ass at those things? Because if you haven't been kicking ass at those things, then why would I suspect that you're going to kick ass in law school? I don't know. You know, it's like global advice. Find things that you're good at and that you love and that you can get paid for and then just really, really kick ass at those things. Whatever those things are, it doesn't matter. Like you could be the world's greatest barista. Awesome. I want to hear about that. That's perfect. I would much rather hear about you kicking ass as a barista than hear about your mom going to prison and you deciding that that's why you wanted to be a lawyer because lawyers uh, do so much to help people. And, you know, it's just like we've seen how many of those have we seen where people just kind of spin off into this rhapsodizing about the glories of the legal world and just not focusing on anything that they themselves have actually done. It's like, you're not telling me who you are. You're telling me who you wish you were. 
I don't care yep. who you wish you were. I care who you actually are because that's the person that's going to be starting at my law school. Yeah. Again, you know, all the law school admissions people are going to tell you the exact opposite of that. They're going to say, oh, no, no, that's exactly what we want to hear. But I, I, I don't think they have any incentive to make you into a better applicant. Yep. Anything else for Colton? Nope. Um, by the way. Yeah. Thanks, Colton, for writing in. I just uh, got an update for Veronica. Oh, good. So, one, <laughs> I found the link that she, I don't know why I didn't click on it earlier. I, I clicked the link that she is using, and the estimated score conversions are based on a raw score of 101 points. So she's looking at, she's looking at the four-section old-school test score conversion charts. Okay. And I com I confirmed that as well because when I looked at uh, her numbers, she said she got 27 wrong, I believe, right? Isn't that what she said? Yeah, 27 points. That would give her 74 correct on test 88 based on the old school calculations, and that's a 160. So, yeah. I'm surprised, actually, that 7th Sage even has this calculator still up. It's irrelevant at this point. Unless they believe the LSAT is going to go back. I mean, I guess a, it works for the the like the old books of ten tests and stuff, right? Like when people have the yeah, old PDFs what, of the old tests. Sure, but I'm also not sure what to do with that information. I guess. Yeah. I, anyway, uh, Veronica, did you do a four section test or did you do a three section test? She doesn't say. Well, she took the practice test on Elsa Demon, and on the Demon, you can't make that mistake. We only let It'll you take a... it for you. Well, also, you can take a three-section test, which has the three graded sections, or you can take a four-section test, but when you take the four-section test, you're still only taking the three graded sections oh. plus an experimental from either that test or another test. So you, you can never get this unbalanced test... <laughs> Maybe we just need to post our own scoring scales so that people like Veronica don't go looking for it elsewhere. I mean, she she confused herself by going to Seven Sage. I have no idea why she did that though, because she got a score. Yeah, she wants to know how it's calculated. So maybe we have to show her the matrix. Hmm. We're only showing sure. her a score instead of showing her the table. Is that what happened? Yeah, we could do that easy. Okay. We could do the table inside the demon. Well, there's but a feature anyways. request then so that we can just show people that. If it, if it prevents them from going and confusing themselves elsewhere, then that would be, um, that's a nice item to put on the list. Sure. All right. Uh, you can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, we got the best customer service in the world. Email help at lsatdemon.com. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That's five days a week. That was episode 333 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Yeah.